0: the veteran interview
1: so we've got another interview on the show and this week I'd like to introduce Nathan Fouts from Mommy's Best Games hello
0: oh
1: A president i believe
0: oh sure yeah why not
1: that's a, that's quite a grand title, I have to say.
0: Hey, if it's good enough for America, it's good enough for mommy's best.
1: Yeah, I feel I feel quite honoured. I do. <laughs> I do. Um,
0: if you don't have a cane or a staff or a crown or anything. You know, I don't know if that would help you out, but
1: I could call you king. I'm used to those sort of titles, you know, <laughs> coming from the UK.
0: I don't mind people kneeling. That's fine. Okay. Kneeling? God.
1: <laughs> well, I'll, I, I could get down. It might be a bit painful, though. It might be a bit uncomfortable to do the interview kneeling down, but I could do that if you want.
0: <laughs> oh, no, please. Please stand. <laughs> okay. Um,
1: I have got a couple of questions to get out of the way before we start. Okay. One of the guys on the forums is obsessed uh, with biscuits. I don't know whether you know what biscuits are in the UK.
0: I love all forms of pastry and i love that you guys call them biscuits so they're cookies right
1: yeah so in the in the so i've I've got to ask you what's your favorite cookie
0: uh yeah i love cookies to death probably to my death but um i a black and white is one of my favorites
1: right you Uh, need to you need to explain that what is that
0: sure a black and white is uh a good one is about a good like Eight inches in diameter. It's very cake like. But that's it's huge. It's giant. They're giant when they're good. Like, I love them like that. They're giant. And they're kind of, they're, they're a disc. It's almost like a giant pancake. They're kind of cake like, but they're more, um, uh, rigid than a pancake. You know, it's not floppy like a flapjack or whatever. And then one half of it is covered in very sugary white icing. One half. And then you, the other half is chocolatey icing. So you got sort of a yin and yang thing. And, um, I don't know if they're they're kind of a, a a deli thing like you know I get them at delis or bakeries a lot in bigger cities we don't have them around here I live out in the boonies but when I visit like um down in Florida or l a or something or Miami or something like that we can go get them so so do you do you eat that
1: just as one thing or do you cut it in pieces what do you do oh gosh
0: if i'm you know if it's if I have my druthers I'll just eat it myself and <laughs> Oh. And not regretted a bit, but no, I usually share it with my wife or somebody like that. So,
1: so is it hard? I'm I'm trying to imagine what this is. You see, it's really
0: weird. I mean, I personally love it. Um, it's like it's got a it's a spongy, but more rigid than a cake, and it's like about uh, three quarters to an inch thick. And it's like you kind of break it, but it doesn't break. It just kind of you know tears like a cake, but it's a little bit more rigid than a cake. And it's, but it's not like crunchy or anything like a normal kind of traditional cookie or biscuit. Like it's, but
1: mm. like,
0: like, it's got more strength to it than a cake would be if you just shaved off a piece of cake and tried to hand it to someone. That would clearly break. But I guess because it's cooked on the bottom, it's sort of strong enough to stand up to being a normal kind of cookieish feel. The icing is insane. That's what I mean. They, but that, that you know that and the cake consistency consistency is amazing. What's your favorite uh, biscuit? Or cake?
1: I, I like a jaffa cake personally, which awesome. is. Which is classed as a biscuit, but it's sort of, I mean, they're not eight inches, they're only about, say, three inches in diameter. Mm-hmm. And basically, it's sort of a bit of a, sort of almost crunchy sponge base with orange jelly and then chocolate on top.
0: That's not, oh, orange and chocolate, that's awesome. Yeah. That's yeah. a nice combination, I like that. Yeah, um, they make like smaller ones too, uh, the black and whites, but uh, a lot of times if you get them at a deli, they're ridiculous. So
1: yeah, you that- need a big one, obviously. <laughs>
0: Close we'll share, and you know, it's just yeah, they're great. I think they had a whole Seinfeld episode about black and white cookies and how they're like interracial. <laughs> I don't know, it was really funny.
1: Oh, god, anyway, anyway, we should talk about games because I guess that's why you're here, anyway.
0: Sure, yeah, why not? Just,
1: why not? <laughs> um, but I've got to ask you, obviously, you know, you know, I mentioned this to you a little bit before we started recording, but. You're sort of a bit different than than the normal sort of indie developers, you know from my perspective right. um because the usual indie developers you know are just starting out or you know just starting to develop games you know and getting into that and presumably want to go on to bigger things or you know start their own bigger company up, but you've already worked for insomnia games, so you've sort of worked for a big developer and then come into the indie game, so how did that come about then?
0: Well, you know, I mean, I started in like 1998. Um, I started working at Running with Scissors. I did. Uh, I worked on some postal series with them on the PC. Moved to InSpace in Florida and did some stuff there that didn't work out. <laughs> we were trying to do um, Duke Nukem on PlayStation too, and it just kind of didn't happen. Um, so I got some, you know, console programming there. Then I moved back to Running with Scissors. We shipped Postal Two and a couple of expansion packs, and then I went to Insomniac Games. And I mean, I've been doing it for a good, you know, a decade or so. And at that point, after we did Resistance: Fall of Man on the PS3, and I did, um, I did the weapons for that, the the design and the programming for those. And then okay,
1: the- I mean, because these are big games, aren't they? Like AAA titles. Sure. Yeah, I mean,
0: Resistance was just unbelievably stressful. I mean, we were at a big multi, multi-million multi dollar company, giant contracts on the line, shipping pretty much the premier action game. Well, yeah, it was the premier action game. I think the only other decent thing on there was the football game for PS3 at launch. So, you know, we were right up there. We, we, we had to show off a first-person shooter on the PS3, and it was just constant stress. You know what I mean? Like, that, that nothing's going to be good enough quality so um it was a big deal and then we had like 150 people at one point well more or less like it kind of is there's so many people there like 100 150 it kind of moved around but yeah it was a lot of coordination and a lot of work and um yeah so basically we shipped that and i pretty much had like a mild unnoticeable seizure probably <laughs> i don't know but some part of my brain kind of fizzled out on after resistance was shipped and then we've shipped um ratchet and clank tools of destruction and i did the bosses for that game and
1: i mean well one of the things that always interests me and we've talked about this on the show before we've we've insomniac games that you know they're doing resistance Fall the man on the one hand which is you know a traditional quite hardcore first person shooter and then they're doing the Ratchet and Clank games, which are you know almost a complete opposite. And how does that? How does that work within the company? Because it's always fascinated me that they do. Because usually you get a company and they they specialize in one type of game.
0: Yeah, I mean they did a great job, and the artists were really versatile there. You know, and even it comes all the way down to design. Everything's got to be kind of shift from realism to cartoon. You know. Yep. The kind of effects the whole bit, and I just it, it was just kind of a matter of. Um, I guess everybody was just excited for their ability to kind of stretch in in a change. So I know, like, for instance, the audio guys loved recording human screams and, you know, like sound effects for gunfire and everything. And, you know, it, it was fun, even like all the way down to the effects side, to do like slightly more subtle spark effects versus really, you know, glowing, you know, lightning effects and ratchet or something. Everybody, I think, just enjoyed doing something a little different. And now they've got a nice balance that they get to go back and forth. I think they got Resistance Three coming out, and Ratchet and Clank uh, One for One for All coming out too. So.
1: so is that? I mean, is that the? So it's the same team that does both, is it?
0: Well, it was right up until this most recent Ratchet. Um, I think Kraken Time uh, was the Ratchet and Resistance Two. That was the same team more or less. Okay. So there's a little. There's some sharing and some just different people, but um, and then. Ratchet Clinic One for All, I think, is the North Carolina branch. Um, they just started, in there, well, a couple of years ago. But um, they're doing that one, and then Ratchet, or sorry, Resistance Three, I think, is the LA group, the Burbank group, where I was originally. They, they they split off. North Carolina moved after I left. So, but um, yeah, for the longest time, it was the same people, and um, you know, it's that place is hardcore. I mean, like. You should, I'm just lucky I got in there. It's really everybody's super smart and really professional, and you feel, you feel like you're just pushing yourself the whole time just to keep up with them. It's it's tough. So I
1: mean, did you did you just feel like a cog in the machinery then? Or
0: well, when you got that many people, you can definitely be that way. You know, when you got a hundred people and you're trying to make something, there's not a hundred steering wheels, or so to speak. Like there's not a hundred you know prominent roles, but I know, like I knew I wanted to work on the weapons. I, I actually kind of targeted Insomniac because they did crazy weapons on Ratchet. And I wanted to make cool weapons for them on, on a Ratchet game, on anything, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then when I got there and started interviewing, they are just like, well, we have a new project. This is before PS3, like I started before the launch of the system. Like we got a new project, we can't talk about it. But, you know, you probably be on that, you might be on that project. And so actually when I started, I was on Ratchet Clank 3, Up Your Arsenal, they finished that. I helped with the special effects on the cutscene, And that was a cog. Like, it wasn't bad, but, you know, you were just kind of doing whatever. And then I was slightly on Ratchet and cl- Ratchet Deadlock for a little while, and I kind of helped with the explosion effects. And then, um, how did it work? I basically just started, I got a hold of the Resistance um, code base. And I think, you know, somebody said, you can look at it. And so I just started making weapons. Because I did all the weapons on Postal 2 also, and they were all pretty nuts. And yeah. so I just making up crazy weapons and you know, I just worked really hard where I was just like constantly trying to show all the designers the president everybody everything I could and just say look I love making crazy weapons let me make a crazy weapon you know and they kind of didn't for a while and they were slowly figuring out the design like the designers were meeting on and I wasn't included in those meetings and they're slowly figuring out the weapons and then you know I just kind of I talked to different designers I would you know get personal with them I was just like Tell me, like, what are you going to do for them? And they're like, oh, we've got this machine gun and we've got this shotgun. I'm like, you're kidding me. The aliens can't just have a machine gun. It's got to be completely crazy, you know? And so I just kept on talking my way into it, basically, and got to be the weapon designer, that was, you know, the programmer. And um, and so fortunately for that role, it wasn't a COG kind of thing. For, for Ratchet, it was a little bit more so because I was kind of different because I was like on the, I, you know, there was like a... a a classic ratchet team that was now making a ratchet game for the ps3 and so so for, for the most part i had only done a resistance game and so i you know more people knew about ratchet than i do i did so i didn't get to you know help with making any calls in that one as whatever but um it also kind of suited my feelings at the time to you know give tell me tell me what you want me to make and i'll start making you bosses you know so i didn't mind that actually You know, kind of just doing whatever, and it was just a fun. It's a fun environment because just everything looks
1: so amazing when you finish it. So, yeah, I I can imagine it must be. I mean, I read, you know, the the guy's blog who worked on APB, you know, and he was saying sort of where it all went wrong, and sort of how many people were just working there and trying to coordinate all that, and it just sort of went belly up. So, I can imagine when there's that many people. I mean, I have no idea what it's like to develop a game, but I can imagine it's pretty crazy.
0: It's it's completely nuts, and a lot of times you just you just get this buildup of uh, management. You know, scheduling it has to exist when you're you got that many people working on something. I mean, to put it in perspective, for like Explosion Aid, which was our most recent game for Mommy List Games, um, we finished that in barely over a month, and it was myself and one guy. And so I sat next to him in, the, in you know, my home office here and I would just feed him work and I knew what was happening, you know. And I'll, to be honest, no, nah, it's, it's, that's an overstatement. Like basically we also had the musician and I would just so I just kept all these people in, in, the, in the story writer and everything. And I was just like, OK, when you got the music, plug it in. When you got the next programming, plug it in. And, you know, when you got a small team, you really cut out a lot of work. But when you have a big team, you you have to have a big team to make something so detailed like you know APB or resistance or anything like that. It's just so much work. Like there's so many different assets, so much material, so many sounds, so much music.
1: Yeah, there is something I've I've actually really got to ask you. You know, because obviously you did a lot of work on the PS3 in the early days, and there was a lot of naysayers saying it was really difficult to program for, and everybody had issues with it. I mean, did did you find that to be the case?
0: Yeah, honestly, it was really hard. <laughs> Basically, um, I was involved with the gameplay team at Insomniac for Resistance 1, and um, it was interesting. They ha- they came up with new ways to, uh, I can't really talk about them, but they came up with new ways to speed up the collision system. And they kind of radically altered how you had to do the gameplay programming. And so even though I wasn't on the engine team per se, they had a heck of a time making you know the PS3 fast and making it work and getting into the you know the uh, the, the SPUs and then um, even the gameplay guys like myself had trouble dealing with the new kind of gymnastics you had to go through to make it fast and good. The frame rate came out great, but you know it was and the poly count was way high, you know, compared to older generations. But it was it was tough. But uh, at this point, I think everybody's got kind of at least. In, I assume that Insomniac had gotten used to it, but it was a definite shift, you know.
1: Well, I mean, obviously, Gabe Newell was a big sort of vocal person regarding it, but now he's on board with a PS3, so, you well, know.
0: Exactly. I mean, you know, whatever. He's going to whine about it. That's fine. Just, you know, man up and start programming. You know, it took some work. It, it, it was It was hard work, and, you know, Insomniac, did it like they got a they got some awesome you know an like awesome launch title out, but it wasn't for kids at all. I mean, it was really a pain in the butt. <laughs> but yeah, so.
1: Well, we ha- we have got an additional person who's just arrived. Eventually, hey is this where the interviews taking place? <laughs> uh, hello, Duke. Hey guys, I'm sorry I'm late.
2: I was really not feeling hot, but I'm better now. I'm ready to do an interview. So, who who we
1: got? We we have got Nathan Fouts from.
2: Oh, dude, he's a guy who did Explosion
0: Aid. Good. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I was cracking up. That, that, that Explosion Aid explosions are awesome. Yeah. And that game, and then it would still blow up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, like <laughs> I
2: said,
1: it was a it was a lot of fun. So. Cool. Uh, hey, yeah. Man. Welcome to the show. Yeah. Good to talk to you. I think I think the trouble was he he didn't use that sound bite for the rest of the show <laughs> you yeah. don't
2: want to overdo it you know you gotta find the balance you gotta oh what a, who am I kidding? you do to find any balance. It's all about doing it over and over again a million
1: times <laughs> yeah, for sure um, and yeah. so we've talked a little bit about your early career, and then so how did it come about that you moved into the indie games and what 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 was the decision process there then
0: basically, I'd like to work a, work for over a decade on three d 3D- games big games you know and um i started watching yeah 2003 whatever 2004 started of watching like geometry wars on xbla and it in it you know it seems obvious now but it's so short ago that it was kind of like wow maybe a small team can make a console game you know and and even before XNA was, was started and everything and so i started working on the concepts for weapon of choice and um kind of looked at our finances and said okay let's let's do it you know let's break off and let's try it because i think it's possible now um to, to make a, a a good game with a, even with a small team and then xna came about and we started using that and that gets you in the door for xbox 360 with almost you know much lower costs and um a lot less uh, overhead and a lot less red tape you don't get managed much in terms of content which i love because i like doing whatever and um yeah, it would just sort of flowed right into that, and now it's like, hey, everybody, just let's all make indie games, you know? So now, it's coming, which is cool. But
2: what was the biggest challenge you faced in that early phase of the transition?
0: Well, basically, be- before community games slash indie games was was real, Weapon of Choice, it was kind of like figuring out, well, how do we get it on XBLA, which we still wanted to do, but but at the time, Microsoft saw Weapon of Choice saw it was an XNA. And from from what came out, I could say it didn't seem like a lot of quality other titles were coming out at the time for XMA. and so they wanted us to do it for community games, you know. And I still wish we could have done it for um, XBLA, but they whatever politicky kind of said they didn't have enough slots or whatever, and so we got put over to there. So it was rocky, you know. And we're still trying to get um Buggy is our next big title that we're trying to get on X- XBLA.
1: Ah, so is that is that why that's been delayed? Because that was meant to be out already, from stuff I've read.
0: Exactly. exactly yeah yeah if you go to the website it's you know mommy's best games.com we've got or grapplebuggy.com you can go there and read about it and find out about the game the story see, you know see some early screenshots and everything in the video um and we've been basically trying to develop it but it's a bigger game than say shoot one up or explosion aid and now we're just i don't know it's just kind of typical find the funding work for a while get more funding kind of work and I don't, it's it's not romantic sounding, but <laughs> it's what we're doing, and you know, and and since we're uh, basically a game company full time, we make games or we we do contract work, and so I've done a little contract work here and there, and we also you know made shoot one up and explosion aid to help fund um, grapple buggy. So, so yeah, it's <laughs> it's been fun, but it's also been kind of scary work.
1: You know. So is is part of the issue the actual? file size of the game so the the actual physical size of it because that's one of the limitations isn't it on especially on the indie indie games is, is the actual physical size of the game
0: well the the reason we don't have you know we would, we might end up putting grapple buggy onto the indie game section we, we're not sure how it's going to work out but the main issue is i would like it for xboa because of the traffic and because of sort of the the color of indie games you know that it has and i think gamers eyes um we'd like it to be on xbla because it's taken more seriously and because there's more traffic there and so hopefully we get more sales and more downloads and everybody enjoys it more um but yeah there is a a much lower cap in any games too and we're grab buggy is basically in mid-development so there's a lot of content we got a lot done but i'm honestly shifting the design around a lot one of the one of the crazy things is we got a lot of spoken dialogue and you know that definitely takes up space But then you run into weird localization issues, translation issues, and um, not everybody can enjoy it that way. It's got to be text and it it does, you know, that makes the size of the file bigger. So I don't know. I don't know what's going to come out, but um, we'll see.
2: Yeah. I mean, when when you're, when you're thinking about coming up with games, is it something that you you feel like you sort of have like a stable of ideas in the back of your brain? You sort of, okay, I'll pull this one out now and work on that next. Or do you start with a game type or a story concept or what would you say is the process for taking it from start to
0: finish? Well, I just get those kind of lightning bolt ideas for new games. Mm -hmm. Say every three to six months, I'll just Mm -hmm. get a new one. And then I just, start blah, just kind of barfing it out on the paper and then I write it down and I save it and I have a pretty big folder of a whole bunch of crazy ideas and some of them suck and some of them don't, (laughs) you know, but then I even come back and edit some old ones and, you know, add little things I thought of here and there and go back. This
2: didn't suck after all. This is going to be
0: awesome. Well, you know, Explosion A came out of uh, two, three ideas, I think. So I had, I have other concepts in there that are similar to that, but slightly different and I just sort of mix, you know, I kind of, thinking about it, riffing on it, and sort of mixing them together and it's its own game now, you know, but it came out of some o- other original ideas. But I do have I I, you know, like I said, I think everybody's like this. You kind of think of things at inopportune times. Mm. So I've taken the making absolutely sure get up in the middle of the night, stop the car, or whatever's going on, I write them down when I'm thinking of them because they fade and I lose them. So I just write them down and then bring them back and enter in the computer when I get a chance and now and I look, I've got whatever a couple dozen ideas in there. And you know, some of them, even the ones that aren't great, I know I can probably harvest something out of them for use. And so, yeah, so with Explosion Aid, it was like I want to do a small game, I knew I wanted to do something with explosions, um, and then it just sort of evolved into like, okay, what if it's, you know what? Metal slug. I love metal slug. Wow, no one's touched that. <laughs> That's just sort of sitting there. <laughs> No one's made anything, you know, different or more, you know, with yeah. That's a good
2: co- classic concept. Let's let's like, do some yeah. new version of it. Yeah, yeah.
0: Like, and, and it obviously, *Insurgency* is almost not at all like *Metal Slug*, but just as a sort of inspiration, that's where it came from. And I could go back to *Metal Slug* and get something totally different out of it. I think. But, oh,
2: sure. We could see the echoes and you know the love for that classic
0: game. Yeah. So, and and the funny part is, I actually don't like the gameplay of *Metal Slug* that much. <laughs> I think kind yeah, of sucks. Um, because I think they really screwed up the, the weapon balancing. Personally, um, I found I figured that out when I played Metal Slug X on the PS1. Mm-hmm. What happens is you can get infinite um, super weapons, so you can get infinite, you know, um, rocket launchers. You can get it, and as soon as you get infinite stuff, it's actually fun. But but because the way the normal gameplay is, when you play Metal Slug, you get killed all the time. You lose your weapon. You know what I mean? And you just shooters, and they just you just kind of slog through it, and it's not actually enjoyable. Yeah. But but it's hard.
1: I mean, that was—I mean—that was one of the cool things about Weapon of Choice, wasn't it? Because when you died, you just came back as a different character with their own sort of guns and skill sets, isn't that—that's how it worked, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, no, I'm yeah, yeah exactly. That's why I, that was the main focus of Weapon of Choice was I wanted you to just feel like almost like I have a warrior wear feel to it. you are just like, oh my gosh, now I've got Constance. What's her deal? Here, you know, her jump splits her, and she makes a holographic image and. Her gun has got blades everywhere, you know. And then you're like, "Oh my gosh, Moses!" And you're shooting satellites out with lasers everywhere. So I just wanted to be really frenetic, really energetic, and you're just like, cutting the, on your toes and changing your strategy the whole time, even when you die. So,
1: I mean, how did how did you feel when you got into the Guinness Book of Records with weapon <laughs> choice? Then,
0: oh, that's framed by the way. I got a copy. Really? <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic to hear, and yeah, it um, it definitely made some contacts and opened some doors for us, and. I, th- I felt great, you know, and that was, you know, I I I would love Weapon of Choice and some incarnation to be on XBLA someday because I think there's more classic style gamers that would enjoy it, and then, you know, that haven't played that style game, and we would beef it up and do a new version or something for XBLA. But um, yeah, I mean, I I tried to honestly build on. Contra style concepts and you know, add something new like death brushing and spider pack and stuff.
1: So I think what's interesting for me, I mean, that when when the indie game service first began, or the community games as it was originally known, um that was sort of one of the standout titles for everybody. You know, everyone really loved weapon of choice. How how did the actual indie, the other indie developers accept you? Because obviously you'd work for a big developer. Did they were they with open arms or did you find it a bit clicky? Definitely
0: clicky. Yeah, it was, and I, it's, it gets a little, it's definitely not a normal forum. Um, when you talk to other developers on there, they're a lot nicer than, you know, a, a typical really catty forum, but even still, it's not in, super enjoyable all the time, but I always try to take the high ground and make it just really positive, positive. and, you know, I don't know, we, I'm sure we made enemies, but I try to, I try to basically win over everybody with just honesty and niceness and not screw anybody
2: so forget that that's not the way to go you, you're never going to make it to the top of this business if you're not willing to step on people
0: yeah no i i, I hear you <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah no you see that's 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 just duke I'm, i must apologize for him
2: <laughs> shut up Stu. i'm running this interview you don't know what you're talking about so <laughs> you got to be like that
1: look yeah. if you want it look if you want to run the interview you need to turn up on time
2: oh don't come oh. tell me with all your rules <laughs> oh.
0: Dude, <laughs> dude, 20 seconds. What's your favorite biscuit? Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I, we've done that as well. Oh, my
2: favorite biscuit. uh You know what's funny is, like, I really when I first heard about jammy Dodgers, I was like, that would be pretty cool. Why don't they have something like that here in the states? And I've kind of looked around for something that's like that, and I, I haven't really found anything like it. We're we're way overboard with chocolate here in the U.S. with our cookies, our biscuits. <laughs>
1: As you see, Duke has a disdain for bis- I've heard these weird, like biscuits with turkey or something in America. What's all that about? I
2: like, get those to my dog. I- I've never heard of human biscuits with turkey.
1: In them. No, no, just I- someone. I heard someone talking in America, and they were talking about biscuits and gravy or something. I don't know.
2: Yeah, well, it's because we—that's that's real biscuits. Yeah,
1: that's real biscuits. Cookie biscuits. No what the hell's real biscuits then?
2: Real? I don't even know what you describe them baked dough, and then it rises, and it's flaky really? and delicious, and you put them that's in some gravy. It's fantastic. It's,
0: so like it's like a dumpling. dumpling. And you make them savory.
2: Yeah, exactly. Like, savory and just There's awesome. no sugar in them, that's all.
0: It's just, no. and you pour gravy on them, and you pour meat on them, and they taste awesome.
1: <laughs> you have some weird things in America. Oh, don't even get me story. <laughs> soup, spotted dick, whatever.
2: And what are we talking about? <laughs> anyway, um, uh. So so, here's the question: Is it weird for you to be sort of in charge of the project? Do you do you do you miss at all having the division of labor where you were sort of responsible for one thing, or, or is it better for you just in general to be like running the show in terms of how things get done and all the choices that are made?
0: It's it probably way, outweighs the 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 headaches. When eh. you're in charge, but I love the concept of not being accountable <laughs> 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 and just doing stuff. And you just like, what? you told me so, and you just crank stuff out. But yeah. now, you know, now I'm like, ha- yeah, like I th- have to look at the game and say something's not fun and then cut stuff. And then, you know, people I've had working for me, you know, are mad because they lost work and it's mm-hmm. stressful, you know. Something sure, it's stressful.
2: a double-edged sword. If something goes wrong or if something turns out in the game that's not the way you wanted it, it's like, ah, I can't blame someone else besides myself.
0: Or forgot somebody, forgot somebody in the credits. Or, oh, boy. Which has happened. Fortunately, that happened before release, but in the playtest version of Explosion, they didn't have somebody in there, and so I got kind of into that. But yeah, no, it's it's better to be in charge, but um, it is really stressful in a different way.
1: I mean, it's interesting because we've spoken to quite a few indie developers now, and and when we asked them how long it takes to make a game, it varies from person to person. I mean, we spoke to uh, Random Morrison, who made Square off. And he said he took him about 12 months to make the game. But they had they did have to sort of go back to a drawing board and do it again because they were trying to do it for the uh, Dream Build uh, mm-hmm. competition and stuff. So, I mean, you've said Explosion Aid took you about a month. What what about Weapon of Choice? Was that, was that about the same amount of time or was that, that a little bit longer?
0: Yeah, Weapon of Choice was about a year and a half. That was um, – then that was straight development. Um, Weapon of Choice – It took like a year to make the actual game and then about six months to make the um, engine and the editors to get that rolling. And then um, with Explosion Aid, basically, Shoot One Up we made in about um, four months. And so I kind of cannibalized a lot of work from Grapple Buggy and Shoot One Up, and which consequently, I'm a weapon of choice, to make Explosion Aid. And we took about five, five and a half weeks to make it. And that's how it went so fast, is building on the work that had come. Um, but Grapple Buggy is taking us a long time because it's a lot of original content basically. A lot mm-hmm. of original
2: so. you don't have the same sort of things to pull out from and, and uh yeah. use from and
0: the design is pretty different from our other games. Mm-hmm. So just as soon as that happens and it just it just takes a lot longer and um but fortunately and, and Explosion it was made to be a small game. You know, we always had targeted the dollar or three dollar price point and um mm-hmm. that was that was it was made that way in mind, but like buggy is made to be a bigger game and a higher profile game, so mm-hmm.
2: everything. A- are you worried that the raising the price point might cause people to be less? I mean, it seems to me like indie games is one of those things where the impulse is, is a big part of it, and and if it's a lower price point, people are more likely to be like, oh, I'll I'll, I'll give that for this game, and I, I just wonder if what the thought process is for a developer in terms of how you choose which how much to price a game at.
0: Well, definitely for. So the shoot went up in Explosion Aid and just the Indie Games channel in general. We, we were pretty much shooting for the dollar game. Yeah. Like what you said, like it's an impulse game and also, um, it gets higher ratings that way. Honestly, they higher in the ratings, which gets longer traffic and longer downloads. But, uh, for Grapple Buggy, you know, we're hoping to get it on XBLA. And even if we did come out on Indie Games, we probably price it, you know, at three or five dollars.
2: So you talked about the uh, classic NES games. Um, are there other games that you, think fondly of that people should be, you know, thinking about trying to do some sort of version of those in in an indie or XBLA format?
0: Well, uh, we actually run an entire website, um, a sister site uh, called 8-Bit Horse. And that whole site focuses on 2D console action games. And uh, yeah, so it's 8-Bit Horse, like the number eight, 8bithorse.com. And so, for instance, um, we just did a giant article on Skyblazer and um, we've got like articles on Jackal on there from the NES, but we've also got articles for Super Meat Boy, Limbo, uh, La Mulana, um, Spelunky, everything. Like, we, got all, we pretty much try to cover all 2D games on there. I love just about all kinds of you know, 2D action games, and um, uh, there's, a, there's a ton that are interesting. So, for instance, again, with Explosion Aid, it's got some Metal Warriors in it. It's got some Cybernator. It's got some, you know, Metal Slug, um, some uh, Target Earth, and yeah, there's a lot of different kind of games and concepts that got pushed around, and, and even you know Bubble Bobble. Yeah, there's there's a lot, but I I don't like to tip my hat as to where I'm looking next. No, I don't think it matters really because I don't think anybody listens or <laughs> kind of got their heads down and is going in their own direction. Whether or not they're listening, I don't think they care. Like for shoot one up, I was looking a lot at um, Space Megaforce, Super LS. And um, I like that game a lot. I still like the game. We can do something else with it, but just for inspiration. You know what I mean? I don't copies it much, but it um, just kind of gives you a feeling, you know?
1: I mean, what, I'm, what I was going to ask is how, you know, like the process of getting a game on Xbox Live Arcade as opposed to indie games, I assume, is a lot more complicated. And, you know, how much more difficult will that be for you?
0: It'll be a lot more difficult, um, but I... I feel pretty good about doing it. Just in terms of, I know how much work it takes to ship a disc game, you know, and how stressful it is to pass like certification processes and that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's going to be a lot more work. Which is also the beauty of the indie game section. It's community reviewed, and which which works pretty well. You know, I mean, it's not it's not too common that a lot that a lot of bugs um, fly through. And the other great thing is you can put out an update pretty quickly. You know, look at um, what is that Monday night combat uh-huh. issues on XPLA getting that update it was just sitting around. You know, it I mean, for like a month before it got cert- got through certification again.
2: And, and you have that- you I'm sorry, would you say that it was Microsoft's doing or is that the developers
0: to I blame think, on that or I would say it was Microsoft's issue. I don't I don't wouldn't call it some sort of nefarious plot or anything. I just kind of backlog, you know what I mean? And um you know, at least in, in the indie game section there's a lot of backlog, but things still move and, you know, and, and you can get updates out pretty reasonably. Crash with Explosion Aid that people were finding after shortly after it shipped. And so I went back in and fixed that and tuned a couple of things that people were complaining about, you know, and, and now it's even better. And it's like, mm-hmm. I'm not constantly, I'm of no mind to ship a game and then patch it. I'd hate to do that, but it does happen, you know, and, you know, and so it was nice to get it fixed. Now on the flip side, I'm sure if it came out for XBLA, that would have, that bug would have been found. It would have been tested harder.
1: So can I can I ask? I believe it's quite easy to transfer a, a sort of XNA developed game onto the iPhone. Is that something you'd look at doing?
0: Well, it's possible to do an XNA game on the Windows Phone Seven um, platform, but the iPhone is written in Objective C, and this is in C Sharp, and so it's not it's kind of non-trivial to translate it. So it is kind of a thing. And that's why I've avoided the iPhone so far. Okay. Yeah, but Windows Seven is in C Sharp still. It's, it uses XNA, and, and we're looking at bringing shoot one up to the Windows Seven once it gets going there.
2: Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of possibility for crossover there, for Microsoft where to make the transition, you know, something that, that developers could do. It would benefit both parties, it seems like, you know, and stand up a little bit to the iPhone juggernaut or whatever it is.
0: Yeah, it'd be great, and we're um. it's also kind of uh, an issue to translate some games, like shoot one up, to uh, the touchscreen format. It took a little while, you know, I didn't know, like a month, month and a half to convert the whole thing, but we're still working on making new modes that work just for the touchscreen, like the tilt mode and stuff like that. So yeah. um, it should be cool when it comes out, and, um, and now we're also looking at Android, because Android uses Java, and Java is fairly similar to C Sharp, but again, mm-hmm. it's not one-to-one, so we might do something on Android. But, mm-hmm. What
2: would you say is one of the biggest mistakes that game developers make these days?
0: Um, I guess it's like you just get sort of too cloistered with your own concepts, and you don't reach out enough to um, to make sure the fundamental game is fun. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's always just a darn shame when you come across something that's super interesting but not just not fun.
1: So what are, what's, your, what's been your favorite games in the past year then?
0: past year, um, um, I'm playing Super Meat Boy right now. Um, it's fun, hard as nails, like they say. But um, I am enjoying it. I think I think the like to get back to it kind of thing is really good. You just die and you come right back. Um, and then uh, I've been playing uh, I like I played Limbo. I've been playing. Um, actually, bought like Raiden Raiden Four on the 360 and Super Mario Galaxy Two, and yeah, I mean, like I, I like those. Like Mario Galaxy 2 is another good one, I can kinda of sit down and enjoy it. It's got lots of wild concepts.
1: So you don't pl- you don't play a lot of the mainstream titles and like the the disc titles and
0: uh I, I play some disc titles, but um yeah, I I just don't don't feel like investing enough time in them. Like I played Dead Space for a while and kinda of got the feel for it. But like, I don't know, you see a plate of spaghetti I don't need to finish the whole plate sometimes. <laughs> More noodles and sauce. Like, I get it, guys. Yeah, I get it. But, um, so I, I just don't have hours to burn. You know what I mean? Where I don't need to burn that many hours on something. So Limbo was perfect for me. I, I saw all the complaints about the time, but I thought it was gorgeous. It was super fun. Everything was original. You know, it was just, like, it was good. It was like a, Yeah, it was just straight. You know, everything was nice and interesting. The same thing with Mario Galaxy 1 and 2, like... Not everything's original in there, but a lot of the stuff's pretty different when you go from planet to planet and fun, you know, and you just get straight into the action and you enjoy it. Same thing with like Super Meat Boy. Like, I like it. Like, you know, you just get straight in and start enjoying things. I've got, I don't know, I've got a giant stack. i got Crackdown and whatever uh, Assassin's Creed and a lot of those I started and just kind of stopped them.
2: And... Yeah, we were talking recently about how sometimes it feels like game developers are going for, you know, they, they think that gamers are expecting a certain length of a game in order to get their full $60 or whatever it is that they're paying for it. But it occurs to me that in some cases it may be the case that, you know, if a game is going to be going on for such a long time, a number of gamers, and we saw some story recently, didn't we, Stu, about how a very
1: small percentage of people finish these games. Only 5-10% only to of People actually finish the whole game.
2: So it seems like a game developer then is in some way shooting themselves in the foot. If it means that so many people are not having the full experience of the game, they're not understanding it. You know, they don't have that same uh, interaction with the whole game. Whereas if they made the game shorter, you know, Limbo, everybody who plays it, it seems, is going to play the whole thing through. And therefore, they're going to get the whole experience of that game. And it just seems like that's something that in some ways is an advantage for XBLA developers.
0: I definitely took it at the heart. I mean, like, I'll put you on the spot. Did you guys play Explosion yes. yeah Yes. Did you finish it? Yeah. So you you know, like I like the the story's silly, you know, it's goofy, mm-hmm. it's funny. Yeah.
2: It's but you kept like, it to, you know, you didn't take it on and on and on. It was just sort of like, this is silly, we know it's silly. now you want to blow stuff up, don't you? Here you go, go nuts. I yeah. love that. And
0: it, and it, but it wrapped up and you thought yeah. it's cool, you know, you bought some cool stuff and you had fun and that was yeah. like you got that. It's like you said, it's in your mind and you had a good experience. Yeah. Like, a lot of things, I've got this half experience. Like, like Afro Samurai, I kind of liked it, you know what I mean? Some of it kind of was annoying, but I, I liked it. I liked the story, but I am not flogging through that whole thing. Yeah. Like, I'm pretty far into it, and I just kind of gave up on it, you know? It's, like, such a shame, because I liked the story. It was mm-hmm. it was silly and interesting, and the, and the combat was pretty fun, but I just didn't feel like playing it for that much longer. And so, it's a, you know, yeah, it's too bad that a lot of those games are so giant. And then you do see a lot of people complaining about the game like they want long games. And so I don't know, you know, game developers are trying to get as many people as possible. And they just don't know who's more who, who's more out there.
1: I think I think it's a bit of a conundrum really because I think people play a game and then if they feel that they've only played it for 4 hours, they sort of say it's too short, you know, and they, I I almost think it's just something to complain about quite honestly sometimes. Yeah.
2: Well, yeah, yeah. And I think that there's a, you know, there's this professional development culture, there's the professional game players and people who, you know, like you said, uh, Nate, that there's there's people who, it seems to me don't don't have a life. And I don't mean that in a derogatory sense of like, you know, oh, they shouldn't play games all the time, because I certainly do. But they 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 seem to do nothing else. Like if they have a job, it's something that they can do, you know, very quickly during the day, and then they can devote so much time to playing games. And they're looking for something very different from a lot of other people. But I would say probably most people who play video games.
0: I like not having a life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I got a family now, and like you know, and I loved it. you put it in like six or eight hours a night. That was awesome. Yeah. you know, I loved that. But sure. I can't. You know, and I guess that's where. I could totally see somebody burning through a giant sixty-hour game in like just you know around a week, and they'd right. be like, "Okay, next." And instead, I'm like struggling. Shoot, Limbo took me three or four <laughs> nights to beat. Right. You know, like I basically played it like twenty minutes, a half hour, a couple of you know nights in a week, and I was like, "Oh, that was." But for me, that was perfect. But um, you know, but like even a six-hour game takes me a while. You
2: know?
1: Yeah. Sure. Just out of interest, Duke, how many hours have you put into Fallout New Vegas now? I think I'm up
2: to like 30 now. It's it's um, but I'm getting there. I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm I'm getting close
1: to the end. It's I'm glad I'm glad you've no time to play games anyway. <laughs>
2: well, you know this is a terrible. special occasion because we're yeah. I've been like saying okay, yeah. Like in the evenings, I'm like okay, I'm not going to grade any papers because I'm going to work on this game. But then during the day, then it's coming back to kill me because I have to just spend the whole day grading papers during every planning period, every four seconds I have. So anyway, that's neither
1: here nor there. No. Um, can I just before we let you go? Um, what are, What are your favorite games on the indie games? Then what do you you know? What are the standout titles for you on the aside from your own, of
2: course? Aside as from your given own, given that Explosion Aid is top of the list.
0: Weapon yeah. So yeah. So we've made Weapon of Choice, Explosion Aid, and Shoot One Up. Um, pretty much my hand down hand down favorite is um, Protect Me Night by Ancient.
1: yeah we played that that sort of is that the one that's like a cross between action and real time strategy at the same time
0: between like power defense and
1: action yeah yeah we played that it
0: was good like that whole game I played I beat the whole thing and it was just quality man like it was fun and original and um,
1: because it had, isn't that that's the one that had a Japanese title to begin with? That we had no idea what it was.
0: Mamate Ma night or something.
1: Yeah, no, I remember it because we did it oh, on the right, show. Right,
0: right. Sorry, I remember we did this it on
1: head. the show, and then it was like we had no idea what to tell people to look for <laughs> <laughs> because at the time it didn't have an English title.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's really hard to find. It's in the top rated section though in America at least, and um, yeah, if you scroll down, it's got a just, it's got. The weirdest box art—I one of the weirdest box arts I've ever seen—and also the worst. Like, because they did this thing where they've got American box art and Japanese box art. You can go to their site and see the two, and then they smushed it together. <laughs> so there's like a traditionally painted knight, but with goofy cartoon anime characters next to him. It looks <laughs> really nuts. It makes
2: you no never point. know it came from Japan. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the tower defense gameplay, which I'm like so-so about, and the action. And the leveling up and the concept of pro- protecting this physical, you know, princess is just so cool. Um, and again, like I said, it's just polished to the, the nines, fantastic. Um, another game that is, is funny, it's similar but different is Soulcaster. I don't know if you played that one? Yeah, I know yeah, we
1: played that too.
0: Yeah, that one's um, I love that one. Um, that
1: reminded me quite a bit of um, Ghosts and Goblins, but in a sort of RPG way.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's got kind of aesthetic. Um, yeah. It was funny that Protect Me Unite and Soulcaster came out at similar times, and they're both twists on tower defense. Mm-hmm. And I don't even usually play it, and it's like, wow, you kind of overload there. But um, I like both those games.
2: And they I, did a good job of sort of leading you into the different elements. I thought,
0: yeah, I loved. I just could have played a lot more of that. That's the funny thing is, I, I it took me about a week to beat, but I could have definitely played more because it was so much fun strategy. You know, mm-hmm. um, getting caught in corners and trying to work your way out. Um, another game I liked um, that was untraditional, but really nice was Leave. Home.
1: oh yeah no we played that too that yeah. was a mad bullet hell shooter wasn't it
0: yeah yeah it was kind of like kind of R type plus res and then it it was only five minutes at a time and it's kind of conceptual and gorgeous looking i mean it's so
1: yeah cute. i think that was one of the games that nearly killed Ginny, <laughs> right yeah it there's a
2: guy p- on our uh, podcast who is, suffers from some mild my, epilepsy my, yeah flashing things are
0: gonna send oh. him on his butt oh no well then, my other game that I really liked is Prismatic Solid. I don't know if you played that one. Yep, we have, <laughs> we have played that as well. You've,
1: we we reviewed a lot of indie games. We <laughs> got great minds thinking alike here. Man. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you guys are awesome. I mean, that's, that's, yeah. seriously, I mean, those are those are uh, some of my top games on there. Um, that I just would. I would like those anywhere, whatever platform they came out on. I think they're great games, you
1: know? There are some on there and that's why we try and do this on the show each week is just to highlight the good games so people know where to look rather than feeling that they just have to troll through all the rubbish games to find the good ones.
2: And especially because it seems like Microsoft gives so little love to the indie games and, you know, the XBLA stuff, there's the Summer of Arcade. You'd think they could devote a little bit of time to say, like, here's some of the best indie games or something.
0: Totally. I mean, like... You know it'd just be unbelievable the amount of help it would be if there was a single little box devoted yeah. the dashboard to kind of just say you know good game of the week from an and it just shoots you in there and you can you're like, okay, this is a good game and you know and it's and people with a lot more traffic will um, you know, go to it there but um uh if this makes me think of like the iPhone with Apple okay so you've got you've got the iPhone and there's whatever for. 40,000 apps?
1: Okay. Yeah, there's a lot on there.
0: There's a buttload. So fine, there's 40,000 apps. All of the, lots and lots of them are bad. Like lots of them are not not worth your time, you know, whatever. And then there's lots of good ones. And what does Apple do? Do they go, oh, we're just not going to talk about the app. You know, because, <laughs> because there's some bad ones on there. We don't want to talk about it because we kind of opened up the platform. <laughs> yeah. so we want talk to talk about it because some people made some pretty bad stuff on there. Of um, no, they make commercials on TV that everyone can see and then they focus on some good stuff. So it'd be great if you know if if Microsoft wouldn't say, Oh, there's some embarrassing things on there. We'd rather not.
2: <laughs> right. It's- and it's such a feedback loop too, because the more people yeah. sort of see it as something that's kind of ghettoized, then they're gonna stay away from it, and then that keeps developers away from it, I'm sure, and it just sort of continues making it something that's exotic and out there.
0: Yeah, and exactly. And it's like why wouldn't you just kind of say the high road and say, you know what? We opened up the Xbox three you know three hundred and sixty. We're the first ones to open up a console like this. Yeah. And sure, when you do that, you'll get all kinds of different content. But look at these fine titles. Yeah, sure. you just you can dismiss it in an, in a sentence and just say, of course, there's going to be lots of silliness on there, parts and whatnot. But yeah. then look at this fun stuff. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. Don't worry
1: about it. I'm a i am mean I'm amazed. I speak to people and some people don't even know what the indie games are on on Xbox Live. They don't even know they exist.
0: Yeah. That's a big issue and you know, it that just it increases over time. Like slowly good games like Radi- Radiant games is another developer, they make a lot of nice. Oh, mm-hmm.
1: uh, we played Fluid this we just, week.
0: We just yeah, reviewed Fluid on game. Them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, like each little game I feel like gets more attention for the indie game mm-hmm. section and it helps out the whole service as a whole. And it's like very slowly more people will be like, okay, that sounds like a game I wouldn't mind playing. I'll check it out. You know, hopefully yeah. it does, nice. and you're like you have a good experience, and you know there you go. But um, yeah, so.
1: yeah, no, I think it is it is tough to sell, and I think the other problem you have a lot of people have their Xboxes set up just to automatically play the disc that's in the tray. So a lot of people hardly ever go on the dashboard.
0: Mm-hmm. Sure, no, that's true. It's, yeah, I, I can I can see that too. I, I can see that, but but there is a good you know section of people that play stuff off the dashboard and play XPLA and stuff,
1: so. Well, we're trying our best to get, to get the word right. out there, you know. And, and we got to give thanks
2: to Quanry and our guy on our site who uh, does a lot yeah. of work for sorting through indie games and finding recommendations for us. He does a good job, so
1: he does. thanks to him as well. He does. So before you go, do you want to big up your, you know, where people can find you, what your Twitter account is, you know, Facebook, all that sort of stuff?
0: Yeah, so we're on Twitter at um, Mommy's Best Games, Mommy's Best Games, and then our website is com, And... Um, uh, we got a facebook but i don't uh updated uh, not so much compared to the twitter so um we also have a dev where we talk about new developments um yeah i mean i, I try to help out developers too in terms of like um, translucency, like what we are doing, and um, so I, I do talk about programming issues on there and marketing issues, but also game issues too. So
1: I'd like to thank you very much for uh, coming on and giving us an insight again into the indie games, and you know, like your transition from a, a main, you know, mainstream developer to your own company. So that's really cool. Yeah. And yeah. thanks for the great games. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, and thanks for making the great games, and uh, yeah, thanks for Duke for turning up eventually. <laughs> I, I,
2: I'm worth waiting for. What can I say? Yeah, no, I
0: appreciate it guys. It was really nice talking to you.